Hey, welcome to Liquid, guys. Good to see you guys. Glad you're here for the last part of our series, First Comes Love, and uh, glad you're here particularly. This is a lunchtime crowd, so we're going to have a lot of fun today. Uh, before we dive in, I do want to give you a little heads up. Next week, as you heard, we're starting this six-week series called Wind and Fire, and it's really about encountering the Holy Spirit in our day-to-day life. Our team's like super excited for this because um, we started the year with 21 days of prayer and fasting, and I've just always found whenever you empty yourself out, there's something about empty vessels that God loves to fill. Amen? So we're going to learn about the Holy Spirit, who I think is like the most misunderstood member of the Trinity. You know, like we get Father, the Son, but like the Holy Spirit is like, is he the crazy uncle? We're going to find out who the Holy Spirit is. We're going to have time for anointed worship, extended prayer. Um, and then our small groups are aligning with us. So if you're not in a small group, that's the best way to get involved. And then this culminates in a thing we're calling Holy Spirit Encounter Night. We're talking about signs, wonders, miracles, and, and healing. Does that stuff happen today? So it's a great time to invite a friend or join a group. Um, and we're not going to be handling snakes. So I'll just put that out there. All right. So today we're just kind of wrapping up this series, uh, First Comes Love. And we're going to talk about parenting because it's like, hey, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby in a baby carriage. All right. Um, here's something I know about all of us, even if you're not parents, okay? Um, first thing I know about you is you did not choose your family. Like when it comes to families, <laughs> you get what you get and you don't get upset, right? It's like there's all kinds of families. Like you ever see a family that's like super matchy-matchy? It's like, oh, we're like color-coordinated. Um, I like this picture from awkward family photos of this mom and her, you know, kids. It's like a new take on the Sears photo. Uh, how about this one? This is always, I call this one Froyo. Man, that's like awesome. Um, I remember we would go to Sears for a family portrait. This is like, we're, pr we're proud of Billy, but he can be shy, right? You know? And we do all have that awkward uncle, right? Who like, you know, at family gatherings, he's drinking the Schaefer beer. And it's like, be kids, Uncle Bob is going through a very difficult time, you know? No matter what your family is like, even if they look perfect on the outside, right? You look at this, you say, oh, that, that's sweet. Look carefully. No matter how good your family was, <laughs> below the surface, it can be suffocating, all right? I'm just telling you. <laughs> I know that about you, too. Your family was not perfect, no matter, you know, how much you enjoyed it growing up. It wasn't perfect. There's no such thing really as a perfect family. And I want to let you know there's no perfect families in this church, all right? So, like, you fit. Uh, we have traditional families. We've got blended families. We've got, like, single folks and grandparents who are now raising kids. They weren't expecting to do that. Uh, adult children living at home, families who are, you know, uh, where both parents work and they're stressed out, or maybe your step-parents, you're remarried or something. No one's perfect. And so what I want to talk about today is kind of the four stages of parenting, because I think everyone in this room has relationships with kids. Yes, some of you are parents, but many of you are like, you know what, maybe you may be a brother or sister, or you're a teacher or mentor of kids in this church even. You're a grandma or a mima for the first time, or a poppy or a grandpa. And I'm like, man, we all could use some direction and encouragement when it comes to influencing children for Christ. Because our culture is going this way, and to be a Christian, a follower of Christ in this world is just very, very different. So I want to begin by looking at the Old Testament book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs. Now, you may have heard this verse, but I think you're going to see it in a new way today. So let's read this out loud, Proverbs 22, 6. Here we go. Big, loud voice. Ready? Here we go. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. So it says you kind of start them in this direction. doesn't say they're never going to take a wrong turn, but it says eventually, if you course correct, they're going to end up in a certain trajectory spiritually. So the question is like, how do you raise like a family in a culture like ours? 
to like love God, to be confident in who they are in Christ, to love others and find God's purpose for their life? Well, the writer of Proverbs says, well, the way that you start parenting a child in the early years, listen to this, will impact where they end up later as an adult. It says, start children off on the way they should go. Anybody here with kids under the age of five? Okay, so you're like, I'm too tired to raise my hand, man. <laughs> I get it, I get it. And when they're old, they will not turn from it. Anybody have kids like in college or, or older than that? Okay, those of you, yeah, I, I could tell those of you sending kids to college, like the offering bucket went by and you took money out. Right? <laughs> like, I get it. Uh, today, I want to talk to you about the four stages of parenting. And to do that, I got special guests. I'm inviting my friend, Pastor Kyra, out to Tag Team Teach today. Kyra, tell us about it. You're a mom. Tell us about your kids. I am the proud mom of two children. I have a daughter and a son. I'm going to show you a picture when they were babies. My daughter was four at the time. My son was one. Look at him. So cute. And now look at how grown they are. My daughter is 11 years old, and she is in middle school. My son is eight, and he is in second grade. And so quite honestly, guys, we are just coming out of the first phase, which is the discipline years. Everybody say discipline. Discipline. It goes from years one through five, and I'm still in it because my son is eight, but he has uh, special needs, and so developmentally speaking, we're still in that range. And can I just say, man, the days are long, but the years are short. And so I get it. For those of you who have babies, we know that it's about surviving. Like you're probably sitting here and you're like, I'm not really interested in knowing how to raise a teenager. I'm still trying to survive my toddler. But you know what? It is just a season. That's what I keep telling myself. I keep reminding myself of this because the first stage of parenting, like I said, is about survival. And so if you've got little ones under five, I wanna encourage you this morning to create what I call a family rhythm. Now, rhythm is just a fancy word that means, uh, how do I structure my week so that my family can flourish? And so our kids, when they're little, they know that we love them in our hearts. Of course they do. But particularly in the early years, they see our love through the words that we speak and the schedule that we keep. Because the reality is all of us here in New Jersey, in the Northeast in particular, are busy. We lead hectic lives, a lot of us work full time, uh, we have, may have other kids, and once school starts, it is off to the races, right? And so my question to you this afternoon is, what are those weekly, or what are those priorities in your weekly schedule that's gonna communicate to your children that you love them? Now in our family, it's dinner time. Okay, so our family time begins when we all come back to the house and we sit at our kitchen table and we eat a meal. Now notice I did not say it was home cooked. Let's just get that out of the way. My husband's like, not funny. Uh, <laughs> but usually, uh, you know, we share our highs and our lows during that time. So usually my daughter will kick, us, will kick it off. Like she's in middle school, there's always some drama going around. And then my son, you know, his speech is delayed, but he can answer yes or no questions. So we ask appropriate questions like, did you have a good day at school? Things like that. My husband and I then, we get to share about our day. And let me tell you, around that dinner table, that's when our family life is lived like we share with each other we laugh sometimes we cry we found out find out what's really going on in the life of our kids the second priority that we have established in the discipline years is the sabbath time now i know you guys recognize that word because we spent um, this breathing room series talking about it it comes from exodus when i read to you the verse 
uh, that says this, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter. In other words, the Sabbath is just a way that scripture encourages us to set a boundary for our family so that we can unplug, we don't do any work, and we rest. It's the opposite of what it looks like to run ragged on the weekends. Moms, am I right? Like you're spending your Saturdays driving your kids to soccer, basketball, concerts, music rehearsals. It is crazy. And my, my husband and I, Jose, we decided early on, man, we can't do that. That's crazy. And I, I will be honest, my kids do stuff. They do soccer, they do track, but we do uh, spend time celebrating the Sabbath. Now for our family, it is not a 24 hour period. And the reason why that is, is because we have a son who has special needs and it's really hard to rest for 24 hours when you're caring for someone 24-7. But we do have a couple of hours where the focus is just on our family and it's usually on Fridays. And so on Friday afternoon, when my daughter gets home from the bus, she knows it's Sabbath time because it's ingrained in our family routine. And so I always receive her in the door and she and I, we always sing a little tune. I thought it would be fun if I sang it to you. Can I do that? Okay, so imagine my daughter's getting out of the bus, and so I'm there in the doorstep, and we look at each other eye to eye, and we go, it's Friday, 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 oh! <laughs> Thank you, church. <laughs> it's like Bieber singing about the Sabbath. But uh, we do that because we're thrilled that finally, after a full week of work and school and homework and you know practice, we get to spend time, just the four of us, and we let our hair down and we do fun things. So usually we'll like, um, you know, order a pizza, we'll watch movies, we go to the, sum, uh, the lake during the summertime, we go to the city. In fact, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll notice that I post a lot of pictures about what we do as a family around New Jersey in our Sabbath time. Now obviously, part of our Sabbath rhythm involves and includes going to church. And let me just say, I know it can feel like a pain to get here. Like I get it, right? You're trying to get your kids fed, dressed, and into the car on Sunday, and that can feel like a nightmare. Like the kids are crying, the Cheerios are falling out, the mom is spilling coffee, the dad is like, avanza, like hurry up. Sometimes you have to be a non-Christian so that you can come to church and be a Christian. Can we just say that? I understand how you feel, but listen to me. Whatever sacrifice it takes, parents, I just want to encourage you, it is so worth it because the most significant predictor of a child's spiritual development, in other words, how their faith is going to be as an adult, will depend on how committed the parents were, on whether their faith was authentic and whether they actually took time to come to church and serve together. Now, I'm not saying you need to come to church because I'm a pastor. I'm actually saying it because where else are your kids going to learn the Bible? At school? Uh-uh. Lo siento. N not happening. We have a very short window in those first five years to train a child in the way they will go. Remember the verse that Pastor Tim shared? It says, start children off on the way that they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. So families, I just wanna encourage you to establish those rhythms, 
to guard that calendar and set those priorities because all of that leads to the training years. We're going to tag team this junk, all right? Yeah, give her a hand. I, was impressed. I didn't got to dance. I'm not dancing today, but all right. So the training years are, you have zero through five, right? You got the, the discipline, but the training is really five through 12. And these are more the grade school years. That's where my kids have been for the last decade. In fact, here's a picture of my son and daughter when they were little, right? Oh, cute, yeah, all right. Fast forward 10 years and boom, all of a sudden it's like, yeah, when they're old and taller than you, uh, they won't depart from it. So the challenge is this, like how do you train a kid when they're now in grade school, they're gaining independence, they're on the doorstep of, of adolescence becoming a young adult. Discipline looks a lot different if you're the parent of a middle schooler because suddenly the kid is, is bigger than you and, and he can talk back and you can't ground her for life, you know, you try it, but it just doesn't work. You got to train them. So when they're a teenager, you're, you're going to be into coaching, but first there's this training years from five through 12. And in this stage, the number one goal is communicating clear expectations. You know, I was visiting with this, uh, this family and I had like three kids and I was like sitting in their kitchen and uh, I think the kids are like, you know, like six, nine, 11 or something. And I'm in the kitchen. I see this list on the refrigerator of our top 20 rules, like house rules. And I'm like, 20 family rules on the fridge. I'm like, you guys can't even remember the 10 commandments. You got 20 rules up in there. But uh, in the early stage, I'm like a big fan of just keeping it simple. So in the Lucas home, kind of in the training years, we kind of had these three kind of unspoken rules, just stuff with our kids understood we had zero tolerance for. We're like, there, there's no dishonesty uh, in this house, in this family. We're like, lying is always unacceptable. So our kids knew from the beginning they had to tell the truth, even if there were consequences to their mom and me. Uh, second was we said defiance. And defiance means like you don't willfully disobey. Because kids are going to disobey. They're going to get it wrong. But this is about willfully doing it. So understand, this is different than when a kid, you know, spills milk and the parent, you know, gets upset. And they're like, you know, what'd you do? I actually didn't do anything. That's your embarrassment, okay? That's your need for order. But if a kid is like openly defiant, like please pass the milk to your sister. And they're like, no, she's stupid, you know. <laughs> now we got a problem. Okay, now we got an exorcism because <laughs> it's a spirit thing. It's a spiritual thing. Okay, so we're like no dishonesty, no defiance, and no disrespect. Our kids just got it. You got to show respect at all times to adults, to their brother and sister. And like I understand, like that can be very challenging if you have siblings. But we're like this is pretty good. If, you know, the rest is kind of details. Now it's kind of funny because one time I'm driving with my son. He was like nine or ten, and he's in the car, and we're going over the rules. And he goes, Dad, I think you're missing a rule. And I'm like, really? Like, what kid wants to add a rule? And I, 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 think, I think we're good here. He goes, no, we should never worship the devil. <laughs> I'm like, all right, so we got dishonesty, defiance, disrespect, no, that's about covers it, you know, kind of thing. So we had a, a very high bar, as you can see, uh, in, in the Lucas Hope. But it was pretty clear for them, okay? Keep it simple, but be very clear about expectations. Because here's the challenge. In the training years, these rules, whatever they're, they're going to get broken, and how you respond to this disobedience is decisive. And that's why you must correct with compassion. Can you say compassion? Yes, there are consequences for disobedience. But it's how that discipline is framed that makes all the difference in the relationship. And I'll just be honest, there's been plenty of times, you know, that I've blown it as a dad, you know, where I got angry or I disciplined in anger and just like been so upset and, you know, just said things I immediately regretted, you know, what's wrong with you? You'd never say what's wrong with you because they're not a mistake. They made a mistake. But like you say things in that moment where, ah, oh, 
I blew it. I wish I could instantly take that back. And the reality is, I just want to give you hope. You're all going to make mistakes, right, correcting kids. And, and I just find in the heat of battle, it's very hard to keep your cool. It is very hard. I'll, I'll, show, I'll share with you guys a story that illustrates this. So uh, last week, my daughter Gabby wanted to invite a couple of her friends to go bowling. And so she sent a text to a couple of her girlfriends inviting them to do that. She wanted to keep it small, and she wanted to keep it among her friends. Well, one of her friends included another friend in the group chat, and my daughter, you know, she was understandably upset. And so she comes up to me and she's like, Mom, there's already drama. Like, I, you, you, look what she did. Like, she sent that, you know, text to that other girl, and now I'm so upset. I'm going to let her know how I feel, and I'm going to send a text right now, and it's going to be in all caps. And I was like, child. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden, I found myself with two options. I could either power up and say, don't you dare send a text to that girl right now. Or like I actually say it in my house, tú no te atrevas a enviar un mensaje de texto a esa muchacha. <laughs> or I could actually threaten her and say, if you send that text, I will take your phone for a week. Here's how I actually said it. Si tú envías ese mensaje, te quito el teléfono. <laughs> Two options. But all of a sudden, I found my heart leaning towards my girl because I love her. My heart is always for her. And I said to myself, I actually have a third option where I can teach her something that she will never forget and do it in a way that corrects her with compassion. And so she's like all fired up. She's like, I'm gonna send that text to my friend and it's gonna be in all caps. I was like, child, before you do that, honey, why don't you and I talk for a minute? And I, I see her like go like, like her thumb is like going down and she's like, <laughs> okay. And I was like, let me tell you something that you will never forget. Never, ever, 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 ever respond in a text with anger. And she was like, well, how do I do it then? And I said, you do it in person. Tomorrow when you go to school, you have a conversation with your friend, okay? And she's like, okay, cool. You want to play Uno? And I was like, yes, that was not bad at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish it were that easy. Okay, that's, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's a very nice mother-daughter dynamic, okay? But I'll just be admit, it's, it's, it can be harder for men, okay? It can, because sometimes we're like, man, when, when, when it gets, you know, someone's disrespectful or upset, it's just like we got to go in there hard. And I remember as a dad, I was really cut to the heart uh, when I read Ephesians 6, verse 4. Paul writes this, he said, Fathers, notice he calls out the dads. He says, fathers do not what? Exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training. There's the training phase and instruction of the Lord. Now, this applies to all parents, but notice Paul first speaks to fathers. You know why? Because dads, your words weigh 500 pounds. They do. They just do. As, as the male in there, it just weighs more. And when your kids disobey, a lot of men, their tendency is, is, is just to come down hard. You know, it's like, Toby did what? Crush the rebellion. Like my inner Darth Vader comes out. Like, you know, like crush the, the rebels, the scum, you know. But understand, when you correct your kids, you must have compassion or you will crush their spirit. That You will. They'll become exasperated or frustrated and their heart will grow hard and bitter. So watch what happens. You win the battle, but you lose their heart. See, you can't always ground them out of frustration. You can't always take away their phone or, or take away the video games every time. You, you have to turn to the gospel. We're a gospel-centered church. It just means we really believe in the good news of Jesus Christ, that it permeates every area of life. 
And you have to learn how to correct with compassion, listen to this, the way God corrects you. Remember this. God is the only perfect parent you'll ever have. We call him our Heavenly Father. I want you to think about how your Heavenly Father responds when you disobey. The gospel says when you sin, you break two things. First, you break God's rules, but you also break his heart. And every parent knows this. It can be heartbreaking. Like when you see your your child sin or make a choice, that's just going to be totally disastrous. But how does God treat your sin, right? He sends Jesus. In other words, your father found a way, watch, to reject your sin, but not reject you. By sending Jesus, God actually says, I'm going to take your side against your sin. I'm going to reject your behavior, but I'm going to embrace you as my beloved son or daughter. So in other words, like when your child disobeys, if you're like, hey, turn off the Minecraft, no more Minecraft, and they end up staying on for, you know, three more hours, you side with them against their sin. In other words, your child isn't the problem. The problem is their disobedient behavior. But you take a posture of compassion. You actually, it doesn't have to come at them. You can come alongside them and say, oh, you know what happens when you do that? Oh, you did Minecraft for all these hours. You lied, so you know you're going to lose out on a play date. See, I'm siding with them against their sin. And they may go, oh, no. And you're sort of like, oh, no, too, because now you got to deal with this, all right? But what it is, it communicates to the kid that you reject the behavior, but you still love him. And that's what your heavenly father does with you every single day. Scripture says, the Lord disciplines those he loves. Endure, endure hardship as what? Discipline, for God is treating you as what? His children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? So understand, discipline in the Bible does not mean punishment. Disciplines literally translates to train or to teach. So when you're training kids, a loving parent will allow consequences. But do so in love, not harshness, never anger. They'll correct with compassion. And that will lead you to the coaching years. Everyone say coaching. Coaching, 12 through 18. This is when you come alongside your kids because now they're becoming teens and tweens, young adults. And think of it this way. If the discipline stage teaches kids what to do, Training explains the why they do it, and coaching is the how to do it yourself. It's coming alongside your adolescent and saying, I'm going to teach you how to navigate relationships on your own, because you're, you're going to be gone from here in a few years. I'm going to teach you how to think for yourself and not just go along with the crowd. I'm going to teach you how to become independent and responsible, which is easier said than done, by the way. I just acknowledge this, okay? Like when you get to middle school, it's like all bets are off, man. I pray for you. It's all about keeping lines of communication open. So here's the, the principle. If you're taking fill in the blanks here, are you just ready for it? It's just, it's, this is very spiritual. Just get ready. Brace yourself. Here's the word. Don't freak out. <laughs> I got no verse for middle school. I'm like, it's, just, it's like, don't freak out. Do not freak out. I, I have to tell you that is my own parenting <laughs> motto because I am raising a daughter who is in middle school. And, you know, I promised myself back in September when she started that it didn't matter what she was going to say, what she was going to ask me, or even what I heard her talking about her friends, that I wouldn't freak out. And I told my husband, so it's like, don't freak out. Now, mm -hmm. I'll share with you guys a story. Uh, two weeks ago, Friday night, I'm driving in the car. My daughter and four of her middle school friends and you know they're all in the back seat they're texting and they're chatting and I was driving and I was like you know what I, I actually think I have a real opportunity to connect with my girl and her friends and so I said um <clears throat> girls what's one thing that you don't like about middle school and they were all like oh Mrs. Davila we don't like the drama 
And I was like, ooh, tell me more. And they were, and, and they were like, well, um, we think it's totally lame that the boys in our class, they're asking out the girls. Like, we're 11. And I was like, huh, that is so interesting. And then one of her other friends said, well, it's not just the dating that has us upset, it's the kissing. And I was like, exactly. I was like, um, <clears throat> what do you mean? <laughs> and she said, well, Two of our friends, they got caught kissing by another one of our friends who videotaped it and he posted it on Snapchat. You wanna see? And she takes out her phone, she opens up her Snapchat application and she shows me the phone, the picture. And I'm like, driving? And I was like, do not make eye contact, do not make eye contact, mm -hmm. keep staring straight. Remember I said, don't freak out? Church, I'm proud to report to you today, I did not freak out externally. I was cool, <laughs> calm, and collected. Yes, thank you, Jesus. He gives us what we need. But internally, I was freaking out. I was like, pero que es esto, Dios mío? They're 11, they're children. They should be playing with Barbies. They shouldn't be kissing each other. But because I do not react, and I just file it away, and I just keep you know, calm, all I said was, huh. That is so interesting. Um, hey girls, do you wanna go out for ice cream? And they're all like, yeah, 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 ice cream. Here's the thing, because I never react, they just keep telling me everything. They don't know any better. And that's what I wanna you know, hone in on with this story, guys. The most important thing at this stage is that tweens and teens both know that they can trust you. Now, let me tell you that word trust is critical and I wanna share with you this afternoon a provocative quote from the book, Parenting Beyond Your Capacity. It's by Reggie Joyner, and listen to what he says. Too often, parents think their primary goal is to get their children to follow the rules. During the formative and teenage years, it is actually more important for parents to earn trust with the child than for the child to earn trust with their parents. When I first read that, I was like, este tipo está loco. This is like some backward logic. They need to earn trust with me. And that's true. But at the coaching stage, it's actually flipped around. It is more important for parents to actually prove they can be trusted mm than it is for a child to earn their trust. Because kids at this point, all they're doing is they're testing brave new waters and it's all new. They're trying out language, identity, figuring out what's in and what's out of bounds. And more than ever, they need a trusted adult that they know will be confident, cool, composed, and here's the key, consistent in their response. And this is the key to effective coaching. Because think about it, guys. Are you gonna trust a coach or an adult and ask them questions if you believe that all they're gonna do is jump all over your mistakes or criticize your soft spots? Yeah, it, yeah I think that's what coaching's all about. It's about coming alongside that way and also asking just the right questions. And it's critical, right? Because like middle school, high school, developmentally, they're out of the discipline and training. This is exactly how you do it. And they need that feedback. They need a parent they can trust who's not going to freak out and can help them navigate these very ch choppy waters of adolescence. Because I guarantee, I'm just, just going to tell you, you're going to hear about a party where there's vaping and they're all drinking. Or they're gonna, you're going to hear about, you know, so-and-so's brother was caught with pot. Parents, like I promise, I just guarantee you, at some point you're going to see a rogue text that you didn't like, or like this, this TikTok that I don't know exactly what this is about, you know? And what you do in that moment, whether you overreact, and you're like, Brandon, the TikTok is, you know, whatever it is, all right? 
or you keep calm is going to be decisive for your child deciding, can they trust you with that conversation or not? Now, my wife, Colleen, instinctively knows this. She's like my coach in uh, keeping open lines of communication, not freaking out. And she always told me, she just goes, because I'm like, well, what did they say? She's like, just keep asking questions. That's the best thing you can do. So I, I remember this one time I, I picked up my daughter up. I think she's like in middle school uh, from an event. You know, she hops in the back of the car and she's like, hey, dad. And she like starts texting. I was like, how was the event? She's like, mm, good, you know, whatever. And I was like, anything else? And she just goes, ooh. And I'm, you know, I'm driving. I'm like, you know, what is it? And she goes, well, my friend, my friend's going shopping for something icky with her mother. And I'm like, oh, all right, shopping for what? Just ask questions, you know? And uh, she's like, nothing. I was like, come on, I'm your dad. You can tell me. And she, she kind of like giggles. She's like, well, if you must know, dad, uh, she's going shopping for a training bra with her mother. And I'm like, why did I ask a question, you know? <laughs> And she starts, you know, kind of like, uh -huh. and I hear my wife, Colleen, she's like, you know, don't blow it. You know, just don't freak out. Just ask more questions. So I was I'm, I, you know, I'm like, oh, a training bra. Wow, that, that's cool. What? Like, who, who says that, you know? And she's kind of like, she's like, not really. And I'm like, no, no, it is cool. You guys are becoming young women. What am, what am I talking? I don't even know what I'm talking about. Just ask questions, you know, don't be weird. And so, so like literally I was like, hey, that's okay. No, do you have other friends getting training bras? What am I saying? What is that? She's like, dad. Now I'm like nervous, you know, and I, when I get nervous, I just like keep talking. I'm like, no, these, these are important milestones, training bras and uh, uh, periods. How about periods? And I, what am I saying? I'm just nervous. And she's like, dad. Now we're just, we're a block from our house. It's like, I like pull in the driveway. I'm like, well, we're, and she like tuck and rolls out of the car across the lawn, runs in the house. My daughter's like, hi, how is it? What's that all about? I was like, just asking questions. You know, just keeping it, keeping it real, man. I'll tell you, what's the point? I blew it, but I, I tried. Uh, I did my best. And I'll just tell you, there, there's really no advice I can give you for this stage. But I just want to encourage you, lean in, even make the mistakes. That incident made us closer. You know, this day my daughter will sometimes say, she's like, dad, remember that time you scarred me for life? I remember that, you know, we, we can laugh about it now. And so here's the thing, we're all gonna make mistakes, but here's the promise, guys, God redeems all things, amen? So, so those of you with, with teenagers in high school, this final principle is so important. When you have conflict, you have to remember to win hearts, not arguments. Can we say that together? Win hearts, not arguments. As teenagers advance through high school, right, to becoming young adults, they get strong opinions. And now they're going to start reasoning with you. It's going to be, you know, that's unfair. Why can't I stay up late? You let him stay up till 11 o'clock on Saturday. You're a hypocrite and you don't understand, right? Now, when they were seven years old, you can win that argument very easily. You're like, time to go to bed. And you take their little body and you just lift them up over here and you kind of plop them in, right? But when they're 17, what do you do when they grab their car keys, slam the door? and drive away. I, I can answer that because I actually did that when I was a teenager. <laughs> I will confess my teenage sins to you, church. When I was 17, I lived in Puerto Rico and my dad uh, was working for a pharmaceutical company. And as part of his perks, he owned a company car. Now he and my mom were away on a business trip and I was home alone with my older brother, 17 years old, Friday night. And I was like, I really want to go clubbing with some of my best friends. All I need is a car. What should I do? And I see that car in our garage, company car, beckoning me, calling my name. And I was like, 
I'm just gonna take it. I'm gonna take it, and I'm gonna invite three of my best friends, Esteban, Norma, and Miguel, and we're gonna go for it. And so you have to realize, if you were a teenager in the late 1990s, and you lived in Puerto Rico, chances are your car was blasting Ricky Martin. And so here I am driving my dad's car. My best friend Norma is sitting next to me. The boys are in the back. And we're like, living la vida loca, woo! Living la vida loca, yeah! We're like partying. We get to the club. You know, we walk out and we're like, mm, mm, yeah, we're going to dance. And then it's like Puerto Rico, of course, so there's like salsa. So we're like, salsa in Espanol, woo! We're like dancing all until 4 a.m right? <laughs> and so I said to my friends, I think we should go home. And so I, we go back to the car driving. I drop them off in their house. And then I wheel that baby up in my parents' garage. And as I'm getting out, I was like, no one will know that I just took my dad's company car. And I went to sleep. Next day, Saturday, my parents come back from their trip. And because I am a rebel without a clue, I didn't realize that there was something called mileage that actually lets <laughs> someone know if their car has been used. And so my dad, he gets home, he unpacks, he has to run an errand, he goes into his company car, and as soon as he turns it on, he sees that the numbers don't match. And now I'm, kidding, I'm telling you, church, it was the Holy Spirit that revealed it to him because immediately he just turned that car off and he went into my bedroom and he's standing in the doorway to my room and he says, Oye, Kaira, ¿tú saltaste mi carro? Which means, um, Kaira, did you use my car? Now, I've always respected my dad enormously, okay? So as soon as he said that the fear of the Lord took place in my heart and I confessed <laughs> immediately, I got out of that bed and I was like, Si, papi, lo siento, I'm so sorry, papi, perdóname, por favor. And my dad just looks at me and he's like, you realize that I could have lost my job. I could have lost my livelihood because this company car is not meant to be used by underage children. And so I'm sitting, I'm standing there, I'm like, Papi, lo siento, lo siento, perdóname. And I'll never forget what my dad did. He extended his hand, and he forced me to look up at him, eye to eye. And he said, I'm disappointed, but this is not who you are. You are so much better than this. Now, church, you have to understand that at that moment when my dad said that to me, I totally realized he was separating my behavior, which was the mistake, from me, who is never a mistake. And he made me feel so loved. And I look back on that now, and I realize my dad won my heart in that moment, not the argument. And that's the thing that I want to share with you today. Sometimes we forget that we can win the argument. Of course we can. We can force compliance to the rules but we lose our teenager's heart in the process. Mm. You see, every family fights, all of us fight, but there is a world of difference when you fight with someone than when you fight for someone. Mm. When you fight with someone, the walls get built up, relationships break down, but when you fight for your child, not with them, the walls come down and the relationships deepen. And so you may need to take a step back when things get heated at home, but don't give in. Even though your daughter may slam the door or they say they hate you, 
They need to know you're gonna stay in the game and you're gonna fight for them. They're gonna close their door, but don't you close it, mom and dad. Even if your marriage falls apart, you keep fighting for a relationship with your child. Even if your son or your daughter gets in trouble or they rebel in high school, don't just drop the hammer and walk away. When they break trust, and they will, you need to show them you still can be trusted to fight for their heart and do everything that you can to restore the relationship. Because here I am now, 25 years later, I'm raising my own two children, and my dad and I, we are best friends by the grace of God. That's awesome, that's an amazing, that's, that's, <laughs> that's great. I'm just not letting you borrow my car, man. That's like, <laughs> Ricky Barton. You know, here's the truth, guys. If you can like navigate these different seasons, right? Think about it, right? The discipline years, the training, the coaching years. Listen to me, by God's grace, one day, you may have a shot at this, the friendship years, 18 above. Let me give you full disclosure for Colleen and I. Um, our goal for our kids, raising them as parents, it was never well-behaved children. A lot of American parents want, you know, I just want them to be well-behaved. Our goal was not materially successful people who go to an Ivy League college and they have a high-end career and make a bunch of money. That, that's a fine goal, but it just understand that's just an American goal. It's not a biblical goal. Our goal is that we want our children to be rich relationally and have a deep abiding friendship with Jesus and hopefully one day a deep abiding friendship with us. Like as they, we raise them, we want to help, our job, we want to help them discover their God-given gifts and the unique role he created them to play in his story. Not what your dad or what your mom, like what you and then Colin and I were just like, we just want to have this end in mind. We're like, we want them to have a friendship with God and a friendship with us. Let me tell you something. Now that our first is she's getting ready to go off to college, we're like, hey, we're done. Well, you're never done being a parent. But, but our prayer is that we will have raised them in such a way that she'd voluntarily want to be friends as an adult, young adult, because of the bonds that we're building now. But understand something. There's a lot of work before you ever get to the friendship phase. And what I see, and this is the kind of the, the big aha for you, is that parents today tend to make two big mistakes. First, I notice that a lot of parents try to be friends with their kids way too early. In other words, in the stage where they should be disciplining and training, they're like, I want to be friends with my kids. I want to be friends with my middle schooler. Bro, he's a terrorist. You don't negotiate with terrorists as a middle schooler. But then watch, it boomerangs, right? Because when you, watch, when you fail to discipline in the early years, what happens? The kid starts to rebel in middle school and high school. And those parents freak out because they realize, I think we did this backwards. And so then they decide to start disciplining here. Oh, bro, game over. Because everybody instinctively knows this is where the parents should be gradually letting go. And when they suddenly clamp down, the kids resist and it's off to war, man. That's the mistake a lot of modern parents make. They get the four stages of parenting mixed up, and that is why you have to have discipline, training, coach them when they're young, so even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Guys, this is not new parenting wisdom. This is as old as the New Testament. Everything we do here, we follow the example of Jesus. He's not just our Lord and Savior. He's our master teacher. And I want you to think about how Jesus invested his life. Jesus spent three years with his disciples. That word disciple simply means somebody who was disciplined. He trained them. He coached them. He loved them like family. And after three years of training, do you know what Jesus said to them just before he died on the cross? He said, 
I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you what? Friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Guys, friendship with Christ, it's the ultimate goal of discipleship. Jesus is like, everything I got from my daddy, I'm now giving to you. And you can be a daddy or a mommy. And, and that's why you should never lose hope. Like if you're here today and you feel like some regret because you're like, man, we didn't have all this in order. And we, I wish I had heard this, you know, 20 years ago. Or you're like, man, I didn't grow up with this. It's, it's never too late. Whether your family is struggling or if you're just simply through surviving, through faith in Jesus Christ, you have access to your heavenly father. And here's the thing. He's the only perfect parent you will ever know. And because of Jesus, he's called you friend. I'm going to let you in on it. He's like, I can teach you. I can coach you. I can provide you with everything you need to be the parent that your child deserves. Amen? So have hope. It really is. It's never too late. It is never too late. I mean, that's absolutely right, guys. None of us will get this right, okay? But God redeems all things, amen? And you may look at your parenting right now. You may be sitting here thinking, man, all I see are mistakes. Or, man, I wish I knew this back when I was raising my kids. Maybe you even have a son or a daughter who's rebelled or they've run away. Don't listen to the lie. Listen to me. And thinking it's too late. It is never too late to win their heart. Because when you sin or you rebel against God, does God give up fighting against you? Never. Think of the parable of the prodigal son. The son took the family fortune, blows it in Vegas, and what does the dad do? Scripture actually tells us the father watches out the window, scanning the horizon until his son returns home. And when he does, what did the father do? Did he give him judgment? Did he wag his finger in his face? Did he punish him? Uh-uh. He wraps him in his arms, he hugs him, and he kisses his son. He corrects him with compassion. He puts a robe on his back, a ring on his finger, and he restores the relationship. Because look at what the father says in scripture. This son of mine was once lost, and now he's found. That's the heart of God. God specializes in restoring family relationships. And it is never too late to ask for help where your family has problems. All you have to do is ask your Heavenly Father and He will give it to you. And that's really how we want to end today's service. Just by inviting those of you who may be facing some family problems to come forward so we can pray for you. Because you have a biological family. You get what you get. You don't get upset. <laughs> but we are your church family. And so our heart is just to stand alongside you and ask our Father to help you, to bless your children, bless your relationships. So I'm going to invite at our campus as a campus pastor and our prayer teams to come forward uh, just to stand at the front of the stage today if you're in the prayer team because um, we want to pray for you. We've had people coming forward all day just for prayer at the very end here. And maybe you're like, man, my family is, is, is facing a crisis. We want to pray with you. Uh, maybe if you're somebody, you're like, I want to pray for someone. They're not even here, Tim. Totally okay. Let's pray behind their back together, okay? There's no broken relationship that the Lord can't fix. And so at the end of today's service, just come forward for prayer as your spiritual family. We really believe Christ can give you the strength and wisdom and help you be the parent your kids deserve. So let's bow our heads. Let's put our hands out again, just posture of receiving here. Bow our heads. Kyra, can you pray for us? I would love to. Uh, Father, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for the model that we have in you. You are the perfect Father. Lord, you perfectly love us. You're so patient with us. You shower us with grace, with compassion, 
with your mercy. And so, Father, I just pray right now for our families in this church. Yes. Lord, it is, it is a difficult world to be raising children in. We, we acknowledge that. But, God, we know that with you, anything is possible. Mm -hmm. And we have in you the model to raise and train our children. And so, Lord, I just pray a blessing of anointing over our families this morning. I pray you would protect their families, protect their children. God, I pray against any feelings of shame or discouragement or guilt. Lord, would you do a work in each of their hearts and remind them, Lord, that on the other side of that, all you want is to shower them with love, to put your arms around them, hug them, kiss them, and remind them in you, Lord, you redeem everything and you restore and you heal relationships. And so, Father, I just pray that today we would leave feeling encouraged with hearts full of hope, knowing that when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, Lord, we know that we can do it. And so I pray that you would bless our families, and we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.